0: Black now. 800-516-1220. That's 800 1220. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220
1: KDOW. Joining me now from briefing.com, Patrick O'Hare, Mr. O'Hare, how are you?
2: Hey, good morning, Rob. doing okay. Thanks.
1: Good good. We're back into the the final stretch of the year. Summer's behind us. What a crazy last three days we've had! Um, Friday down big, and I only say that because if, like, I'm at the gym or if I, you know, look up at a TV and you see down 200, 300, I'm like, eh, that's kind of a big down day, not horrific but bad. And then up Monday, and then Tuesday it reversed. What's with the volatility in your opinion, or what's creating the volatility?
2: Uh, well, the Fed is creating the volatility, in my opinion. Um, just, okay. uh, you know. <laughs> they're talking so much and they're talking out of both sides of their mouth and and it's you know the market really doesn't know I think the market knows what to think it knows to to think that the fed just doesn't have a clue right now and that's that's bothersome you know here are the <laughs> all the phd's that have all the data in front of them should have some stronger sense of what's going on and a more cohesive sense with their monetary policy and it just doesn't sound that way um and so uh So everyone's left playing this guessing game, and then uh, while we're doing that, we're also left with this sad conclusion that perhaps uh you know monetary policy is, has essentially hit its limits, and that there's no more uh ultimate ability to make any effective change for the economy uh through asset purchase programs or you know lowering interest rates and the like so uh so that's a nettlesome point, and I think that that's created some of the volatility we've seen here of late.
1: Do you want to go back to the world where the Fed didn't talk and was kind of secretive about what they were going to do? Because you kind of sounded a little frustrated when you said the Fed's talking and they don't know what they're talking about, or you didn't quite say that, but close to that. It's a little chaotic right now, and I agree with you.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, I think more information is always better than less. But what the Fed I think needs to do is they just have to have a cohesive uh, mouthpiece, Um, you know. uh their their communication ability has been really lacking and it's kinda become too loosey goosey really where everyone can just kinda go out and with the caveat that it's their own opinion of course and then they don't speak for the Fed. But you know, at the end of the day we all know that they all sit around the same table, so when you have all of these independent viewpoints being put out there, uh you have no good feeling about what uh what they'll say collectively, you know, coming out of that out of that meeting. Now what we know is that collectively they've all been afraid to raise interest rates for <laughs> for a long time really uh, and so that's bred this sense of complacency in the market that you know rates won't go up uh and because they aren't going to go up you have to continue to seek yield uh, in the equity market but what we what we saw on friday um was a little unnerving because you know the fed doesn't really control the back end of the treasury curve it controls the front end and and but Uh, You know, you saw the back end adjust, you know, pretty violently uh, in a one-day trade, granted. But nonetheless, you know, if if the Fed, uh, if the market senses that the Fed can't continue to suppress long-term rates at a time when it looks like global economic activity is is not going to measure up as many people expected, um, you know, that's not a good thing. You know, rates would be going up really for the wrong reason. They'd be going up in in part because there's a lack of faith in central bank policy. Uh, there's a lack of uh, a belief that the Fed and other central bankers can do anything more to suppress those long-term rates and help jumpstart economic growth. And, you know, that's not a comforting consideration uh, at this juncture. So you want rates, when they go up, to go up for the right reasons. You want growth to be stronger. You want earnings uh, to be picking up. Uh, and you want a modest rise in, in inflation that, co- that accompanies that. You know, you can see, you know, an adjustment at the long end of the curve uh, in the face of things like that. That's more healthy than one that ha- happens because there's simply a lack of confidence in, in central bank policy right now.
1: So, shifting gears ever so slightly, I saw two headlines this morning. Economists expect growth to go for at least two more years in the United States. So that sounds pretty good, and the other one was U.S. household income grew 5.2% in the year 2015, breaking the pattern of stagnation, and that sounds pretty good. And yet, when I'm listening to you, Pat, I'm feeling a little discouraged, Um, and it seems like the Fed's run out of policy uh, ability to move and, and help, and I'm getting kind of a confliction of, there's some good news out there. Well...
2: There is. I mean there's always good news out there, Rob. <laughs> so okay. and, and the, you know what you now the first point you pointed, what economists think will happen is is what I call more a soft viewpoint, right? I mean the sure. future's inherently uncertain. That's just their viewpoint that things should be better. Um and why wouldn't they think that when things have kind of been so sluggish um you know, for so many years now? That's um that's not a surprising opinion. I mean everyone uh, I think it's ingrained in our nature to be, you know, pr- relatively optimistic about what what's going to come ahead here, um, you know. Um, and then the second point, though, is is what I refer to as hard data. I mean, household income going up 5.2 percent that that's a good thing. You know, you want to hear more things like that, um, but you want to see that translate then into stronger levels of spending activity uh, on the part of the consumer, and you want to see that uh, manifest itself in consumers being more confident about their income-earning prospects such that they have a willingness to go out and, you know, maybe take out new loans to uh, start new businesses or, you know, to make improvements or, you know, what have you, really, which helps drive stronger levels of economic growth, which in turn helps uh, feed into better levels of business confidence that leads to higher levels of business investment. And then so you have a nice self-sustaining cycle there if all of that kicks in. So, so you do have the vestiges there of some good things unfolding in the months ahead given the, the, the pickup you've seen in household income. But now that has to translate into into higher levels of spending as opposed to higher levels of saving uh, and and higher levels of you know, debt deleveraging uh, because what we've seen here is that you know through the years is that uh, consumers have taken a prudent step after the financial crisis to pay down debt. Uh, and to bolster their uh, savings accounts uh, out of concern that you know, they won't be ready uh, to, uh, to deal with you know, some difficult issues in the event you do have another economic downturn, and that's, that's kind of held the economy back here. But if you can get that translated into higher levels of spending, higher levels of consumer confidence, higher levels of business confidence, then those economists who are thinking that things will continue to grow for the next few years uh, probably will be right.
1: So I've kind of been monopolizing things with my questions. Anything that you're seeing out there that you think makes for good money talk?
2: Uh well, you know, it, it this what's what's going on in, in in the treasury market does need to be watched closely. Um you know, I saw a report earlier today, um, you know, Bridgewaters Ray Dalio, uh, who leads the largest hedge fund around. Um Acknowledge that there's a dangerous situation in the debt market right now, and and effectively kind of said what I was saying at the top of the interview here is that there's uh, a, a budding sense here that really that you know the Fed is pushing on a string here with its policies, and that is that it can't really do anything more, um, and uh, and you don't want to lose, con- you know, the Fed can't afford to have. Uh, control be lost, uh, at the back end of that treasury curve and having long-term rates spike, uh, or, you know, or go up for the wrong reasons. Uh, so that's something that your listeners and, you know, everyone should really be keeping a close eye on because that will have a residual effect on what happens in, uh, in the stock market. Um, so, um, so am keeping a close eye on that. And then just in a related sense, I'll be updating Briefing.com's market view this week in my big picture column. Um, so, uh, um, so you can look forward to that.
1: So one of the things that I have a question about is um, if you watch CNBC while you're at the gym, just like uh, without volume, you'll see a lot of things that scare you. Um, you know, Ray Dalio sees dangerous situation with global debt. You know, ever since I was a little kid, there was a issue with glo- debt and the U.S. debt, and I get it. Um, and then you see stocks are primed for a 25% drop this year. How much of that do you read to kind of glean what their take is and how much of it do, like, do you have any go-to people that you trust more so than others uh, because I find it all fascinating CNBC will put anybody on the air if they have a pulse yeah
2: <laughs> right well, I love listening to Art Cashin uh, he's the director of floor okay. operations there um, CNBC like is always talking to him you know on a daily basis and uh, you know simply he's got so much uh, history under his belt you know has seen it all really um, and so his That's viewpoints fair. are are uh, I pay close attention to. But, you know, uh, when you take a step back and you listen to uh, successful investors through the years, like like Stanley Druckenmiller, you know, who's who's got somewhat of a cautious, you know, outlook right now in the market. Um, you know, guys like Ray Dalio, who when he, you almost have to listen to them because <laughs> he has the, the largest hedge fund around. Um, you know, Larry Fink at BlackRock, you know, uh, who oversees, you know, uh, largest money management firm going, um, you have to pay attention to the viewpoints of people like that. Um, you know, I think they've got the pedigree and the history um, and experience really to um, lend some resonance to the market narrative uh, that's worth paying attention to. But I think to your point, though, there is a lot of information out there right now, probably too much. Uh, and uh, and it does, you know, create some difficulties in trying to discern, you know, where things are going because for every bullish view you'll hear you can certainly find a bearish view
1: and of course i want people to check your work out as well because i've been following you for 15 plus years now it feels like um at least and uh you've been very very consistent so thank you for that
2: well thank you sir i appreciate that
1: It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com. Everyone should go Google Patrick O'Hare Briefing.com and see some of his writings. Jump on Briefing.com. Sign up for a subscription. Great source of information for domestic and international issues. On top of all that, uh, what he said about art cash and art cash is a jewel. Check him out. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more.